You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. Lecture 10 of the Lecture Cycle by Rudolf Steiner, Spiritual Beings in the Heavenly Bodies and in the Kingdoms of Nature. This is the last lecture of the cycle, and then there are four additional lectures. Um, This was given in Helsinki, April 3rd through the 14th of 1912. Following the statements we were able to make yesterday on the cooperation of the spirits of the various hierarchies in the Kingdoms of Nature, there still remains the mineral kingdom to be considered. We call to mind that we describe the mineral kingdom by saying that only its physical part exists in the physical world, while we have to seek what corresponds to the etheric body of the mineral in the so-called astral world, the astral body in the lower devaconic world, and the actual group eye of the mineral kingdom on the higher devaconic plane. Thus the mineral kingdom presents a remarkable contrast to humanity. While we must say of human beings that all four principles of our being are active on the physical plane, the physical as well as the etheric body, the astral body, and the I, in the case of the mineral we must distribute, as it were, all that we humans have on the one plane and say, as far as the mineral is concerned, the mineral we must seek, as far as the mineral is concerned, the mineral we must seek what corresponds to the human etheric body, on the astral plane. We must seek the astral body in the devaconic plane and the group eye of the mineral on the higher devaconic plane. Thus what in the human being is concentrated on the physical plane is in the case of the mineral divided in its activity among the various worlds. Again when we trace what is, actu- what is really in question with occult vision we arrive at the following result. In the occult sense, we must seek in the first place only that part of the mineral kingdom on the physical plane that is perceptible to the external senses. We must be quite clear as to the fact that only what we call the forms, the shapes of the mineral kingdom, are perceptible. We know, this can only be touched upon here, that the mineral world, at any rate in part, encounters us formed, organized, in such a manner that we perceive this formation as suitable to the mineral nature. If we look at a certain body of cubic form and at another of a different form, we know that these forms are not accidental but are connected in a certain way with the nature of the mineral. Occult investigation teaches us that the forms in the mineral which we call crystal forms can be traced back to the action of the spirits of form. Because occultism always starts from reality and seeks to find the origin of this or that, Names are so given in occultism that the name points to something characteristic. The name Spirits of Form was chosen for the reason that in the kingdom that we on earth describe as the mineral kingdom, the Spirits of Form display their activity, and further, that the offspring of the Spirits of Form, in the sense that we have spoken of offspring of the higher hierarchies in the course of these lectures, are above all active there. To understand the nature of the minerals, we must be quite clear that to physical perception, generally speaking, only the forms of the mineral exist. To be sure, certain forces are evident in the mineral kingdom, such as the forces of electricity and magnetism, 
that cause the minerals to appear in certain colors. But we must be quite clear that in general only the form of the mineral kingdom is to be observed on the physical plane. Without taking the other qualities into account, let us consider the forms we encounter, at any rate, in most of the mineral kingdom, and let us be quite clear that this pure form proceeds from the mode of operation of the spirits of form or their offspring. Next we come to the so-called etheric body, which we must describe as the second principle of a being of the mineral kingdom. Occult investigators cannot find what they describe as the etheric body of the mineral in the mineral world, but they find it in the same realm in which they seek when, for instance, they wish to find the astral body of the plant or the group eye of the animal. As we saw yesterday, they need to make no other preparation regarding their soul than that necessary for finding the group eye of the animal. With the same condition of consciousness with which they perceive the group eye of the animal, occult investigators also perceive the astral body of the plant and what lies behind the mineral kingdom as its etheric body. Now we have seen that we must extend our observations into the region of the planets of a planetary system in our own planetary system to those planets existing outside the earth. And we have shown that the corresponding forces that externalize themselves in the group eyes of the animals and the astral bodies of plants work directly from the planetary centers. There we must also go if we wish to seek what works etherically in the mineral. How a mineral is laved by life powers can first be seen if we penetrate to the universal life that is common to all, from the earth to the rest of the planets of our planetary system. Thus the principle by which the mineral is animated, the life of the mineral, is not to be found in the physical world or in the realm of what our earth directly offers us, but in the life streams pouring down from the planets, which are stimulated constantly to be sure by the sun, but still streaming down directly from the planets and permeating our earth planet in a living way, in order to permeate all that is form with their offspring, the etheric nature spirits of which we have spoken. Thus form has inner being. In other words, the form of the mineral, which proceeds solely from the physical plane, is not permeable, but offers resistance. Were nothing active in the mineral but what is active on the physical plane, then the mineral would only make itself perceptible as form. But this form is filled with inner being. For the mineral has also inner being. It has the inner being of the various mineral substances. It not only has form, it has matter, it has substance. When we directly perceive this substance in the physical world, it appears to us as a dead, lifeless substance. To cosmic space it is not dead. To planetary space, at least, it is something that is part of its own life, that is precipitated from the life of the planetary system. Just as the human or animal organism separates off hard products, the nails, for instance, so is the mineral substance put forth but the active forces that put it forth are not to be looked for upon the earth itself. Hence it appears on the earth as if it were dead. This, These streams of life, these life forces, this etheric body, must be sought as streaming down from the several planets. Just as in considering the group eyes of animals we could say, in reality only the general forms are created by the group eyes of animals, and these are then further developed, so must we say, 
the streams of life sent down by the individual planets that permeate the earth from all sides do not create forms for the minerals, for those are created by the spirits of form. But through these streams the minerals are permeated with inner being. This occurs in such a way that this inner being is given certain main types, main substances, and each substance is thereby connected with a stream proceeding from one of the planets. Because the minerals immediately acquired solid forms, mobile types are not created from the planets by means of these planetary streams, but types of one kind only. And then through the various positions of the planet, as I have already described with regard to the group souls of animals, besides the main types and substances, other types, subordinate substances, are created, which again depend on the constellation of the individual planets. But what the planets create, each through its own original nature, is expressed in the principal substances of the Earth's organism. Thus we have certain main mineral substances of the Earth's organism of which we can say, here is a substance that is what it is because it is permeated by an etheric stream from one of the planets. Another is permeated by a stream from another planet. Thus we have to trace back the nature of mineral substances to activities in the planetary system that externalize as etheric streams in the organism of the earth. Therefore the occult schools that have investigated such matters have also connected the principal substances of our earthly organism to the planets in such a way that they have designated those substances that have been produced quite directly, not through the constellation but through the principal activity of the planet, by the same or similar names as the planets, and indeed in such a way that occult observation has been strictly adhered to. If we observe the planet Saturn in our system, we find that the life stream that permeates the earth directly from Saturn is connected with the substance that is inwardly animated by Saturn. From Jupiter we get tin as main substance, from Mars iron, and from Venus in its occult sense copper. With regard to Mercury we must take into consideration that it was later confused with Venus. The life activity in the sense of true occult nomenclature produced creatively by Mercury on account of its greater proximity when it penetrated the earth organism, bears a still greater resemblance to the planet itself, for Mercury stands nearer to the earth than the other planets. Therefore this substance has been given the same name as the cosmic body itself, namely Mercury or Quicksilver. These are the principal substances that are connected in their etheric body with the corresponding planets of our system. If we recollect how we had to speak of all that works from the planetary system regarding the group souls of animals and the astral bodies of plants, we find it is always a question of the beings in connection with the spirits of motion, either with themselves or their offspring, who work in their totality on the earth from the planets of the system. Thus we must also reckon as belonging to the sphere of the spirits of motion what permeates the mineral substances. Now if we wish to consider what belongs to the mineral kingdom as astral body, we have to ascend, as it were, to a still higher world. In the whole sense of our past considerations it will be clear that in the same way that we had to ascend from the astral body of the plant to the group I, from the planets to the sun, to the fixed star, so too, regarding the mineral kingdom, if we pass from the etheric body to the astral body, we must again ascend to the fixed star. 
that is, we can understand and occult vision tells us, that the astral nature of the mineral works from those beings in the ranks of the hierarchies through whom comes from the sun what is directly perceptible, from the beings we call the spirits of wisdom, or from that which is connected with their sphere. Thus even the offspring of the spirits of wisdom come into consideration. What thus works in the mineral is seen by occult investigation as quite separate, outside the mineral. But it is so seen that the life just described as existing in the mineral, as the etheric body of the mineral, is pressed in from outside, whereas the astral body in the human being or animal holds together the etheric body from within, the etheric body of the mineral is, as it were, pushed toward it from outside, not concentrated and held together inside as in the human being and the animal. If we consider the relation of the human astral body to the human etheric body, we see that what works as etheric body is held together by the power of attraction. In the mineral, the etheric body is compressed together by forces from outside. Thus in the mineral, the content, the inner nature expressed in the etheric stream, is compressed by means of active astral forces into the form. The mineral is held together astrally from outside because it is determined through the different positions of the sun to the earth in relation to this astral pressure. One might say that the etheric substance is driven into the mineral from the point from which the sun shines upon the earth. Thus, while this etheric substance is itself directed by the planet, it is driven into and held within the mineral or crystal by the sun, by the forces belonging to the sphere of the spirits of wisdom. But now something very remarkable is seen. If we investigate occultly the activity exercised by the astral forces from the sun upon the mineral, we recognize very clearly at this point a very important fact. We learn that while all the etheric forces proceeding from the planets work upon the mineral and actually form its basic substances, other etheric streams also pass down from the sun as such to the earth. Thus, while generally for the normal formation of the mineral, the etheric substance passes down from the planets and is only compressed from outside by the forces proceeding from the sun, yet we cannot say that no etheric streams come down from the sun, for it is a fact that such an etheric stream does come down. What is the reason for this? Why does there come down from the sun an etheric stream that can, as it were, inwardly animate the mineral? Why does this take place? It is brought about by the activity of what I have designated as the Luciferic Principle. The spirits in the ranks of the higher hierarchies that work astrally upon the mineral are, as we have just said, the spirits of motion, wisdom, while the spirits of motion work etherically. There are spirits of wisdom active on the sun who have gone through their full normal process of evolution. They work, as has been described, astrally upon the mineral. But certain of the spirits of wisdom have become luciferic. We have designated this becoming luciferic, in quotes, of certain spiritual beings of a hierarchy as a sort of rebellion in the cosmos. This rebellion comes about because certain spirits, having reached a given stage in their hierarchy, resist their brethren and work against them, work in an opposite direction. This opposition comes about simply because they do not wish to go through the evolution that the others have gone through so they simply remain behind at an earlier stage. 
just as we know in our own souls that we wish to progress, yet the ideas and habits we have acquired will not allow us to do so, because they wish to remain as something permanent. Our habits often rebel against what we have acquired in a new epoch of life. In like manner, the spiritual beings who remain behind at an earlier stage are rebels in the cosmos. The Luciferic spirits, the spirits of wisdom of the second hierarchy, who have not gone through their development with the rest, instead of sending astral streams from the sun to the mineral, send etheric streams to the earth. This resulted in a certain basic substance being formed that received its inner being not from the planets, but directly from the sun. This mineral is gold. Gold is that luciferic mineral that, in regard to its inner being, is not influenced etherically by the planets, but by the sun. Hence the occultist has allotted gold to the sun. In a certain sense, therefore, this mineral is somewhat different from other metals. You can now easily grasp that because etheric streams come from the sun and work something into the earth which is actually a rebel principle, the equilibrium of the earth is thereby disturbed. The equilibrium of the earth in relation to the mineral kingdom would be maintained if all the etheric influences came from the planets and none but astral influences came to the minerals from the sun, but there are also direct etheric forces coming from the sun and they disturb the equilibrium. This equilibrium had to be re-established by the wise leaders of the world, for the earth could not carry out her evolution under such conditions. The hierarchies had to work in cooperation so that the equilibrium might be re-established. The stronger luciferic forces had to be opposed by other forces, which in a certain sense paralyzed them and arrested their effects. This could only come about through the etheric stream that came from the sun being opposed by another, which counteracted and in a certain sense balanced its effects. Thus, while certain spirits of wisdom proved themselves luciferic and sent down etheric currents from the sun into the mineral kingdom on the earth, other spirits took care that these were opposed by other currents. These opposing currents, which readjusted the equilibrium, were created by a part of the disturbed equilibrium substance being detached from the earth and circling around the earth as the moon. Thus the etheric streams coming from the sun came into opposition to the etheric stream which flowed from the moon to the earth from quite a different quarter, and in this way the balance was re-established. Thus, because luciferic spirits of wisdom on the sun had attained the possibility of sending forth etheric streams, other spirits of wisdom renounced their claim to working from the sun and consented to apply their forces to restoring the equilibrium. That is, a cosmic colony, a planetary colony, was founded on the moon, from which there now streamed etheric currents to the earth, so that a substance was created which had to be in the earth so that the direct power of gold might be weakened. This came about as a result of the moon being separated from the earth. From the spirits of wisdom who separated from the moon, and who in a sense became the opposers of the luciferic spirits of wisdom from the sun, stream down to the earth those etheric forces that have produced the substance silver. Thus you see that in the universe, in the cosmos, certain things work in such a way that one might explain it by means of a certain diagram. But the peculiar thing is that the diagram would everywhere be broken through. If anyone were to prove by means of a diagram that all the etheric forces for the minerals come from the planets, that person would be in error, for in reality two etheric streams come from two different sides, the one from the sun, the other from the moon, 
hence two basic substances are formed in a different way. If we wish to make what I have just described objective, perceptible to our senses, and to find an external expression for it, we can achieve it in the following way. But we must first of all be clear as to what it really is that we see when we look at the sun. We pointed out previously that only the spirits of the higher hierarchies, down to the spirits of wisdom, go through their own evolution on the fixed star. What we see when we look at the fixed star is the actual content substance of the spirits of wisdom. That is the true content of the fixed star. Indeed, we human beings can only gain a concept of what is the substance of the spirits of wisdom by contemplating what exists in us as, at any rate, an image of this substance. What is that in us, in humanity, in the human soul, that is a symbol of the substance of the spirits of wisdom? Our thoughts. But we do not see our thoughts with physical eyes, that is the point. Neither can the fixed stars, insofar as they are the fields of activity for the genuine spirits of wisdom, be seen with physical eyes. We have now reached a point where we can point again to the enormous significance of what we find in the religious documents that are based on occultism. You know that the Bible, in Genesis, states that human beings were created in a very peculiar way. We are told that Lucifer appeared to Eve and told her that if she would do as he wished, her eyes would be opened. Anyone who knows the original text will not readily be put off with a merely symbolical explanation, for what the Bible means by good and evil does not refer to moral good and evil. That belongs to quite a different part of the development of civilization. What is meant here as good and evil is what is seen externally, not as something spiritually psychic, but something seen with the physical eyes. Quote, your eyes shall be opened, unquote. Till then they were not open. This must be taken quite literally. Human beings could perceive before Lucifer approached them. They saw the fixed stars with the primitive clairvoyance that had been given to humanity. But their vision was such that they saw the substance of the fixed stars as the substance of the spirits of wisdom. They saw them spiritually. They only began to see the fixed stars physically, that is, light first streamed toward them that was able to be perceived by their physical eyes, when they themselves, the human beings, had yielded to the Luciferic temptation. That means that the fixed stars as directed by the spirits of wisdom are not physically visible. They do not shed physical light. Physical light can only be shed if there is something underlying it that serves as a bearer to the light when light is, as it were, held captive through a bearer. For a fixed star to become visible, something more is necessary than the mere presence of spiritual beings of wisdom at work there. It is necessary that luciferic beings should work in this fixed star who resist the mere substance of wisdom and permeate it with their own principle. Thus within the fixed star is mingled what is only visible spiritually and resists this merely spiritual visibility. The luciferic element in the fixed star that carries forth the light into physical phenomena. The fixed star would not be visible if it had not within it, in addition to the spirits of wisdom who have progressed normally, those who have not attained their goal, who remained at a lower stage, either at the stage of the spirits of motion or that of the spirits of form. Thus we have to recognize the backward spirits of wisdom who have not attained their goal as light-bearers in the lightless spiritual substance of the fixed star. Now, if we are clear as to the fact that from the fixed stars from our own sun, physical light only reaches us because the normal spirits of wisdom have as companions 
those who have remained behind and who have become light-bearers, light, Lucifer, Phosphorus, we must also be clear that the same cause which makes the sun visible, which sends light to us from the fixed star, is also that which sends the etheric life-stream to the earth and produces gold. It was necessary, therefore, that other forces should work from the moon, which occult vision perceives as etheric currents, forces which produce silver. Since they are spirits of wisdom who oppose the moon to the sun in order to bring about an adjustment, we must say, quote, these spirits of wisdom upon the moon cannot shine, unquote, for the spirits of wisdom do not shine. Hence, if occult vision searches for these spirits on the moon, it does not discover them as luminous. For these spirits of wisdom who founded a colony on the moon were obliged to exclude the luciferic spirits from the moon, otherwise the balance would not have been maintained. That is to say, the moon cannot ray out any light of its own, only what is reflected as sunlight. Quite normal spirits of wisdom made a sacrifice and took up their position on the moon in order to supply the earth with the necessary currents for keeping the equilibrium in opposition to the luciferic currents which stream from the sun. Hence the moon is excluded from having light of its own, and it is not difficult in this external fact that we encounter in the physical world to see the symbol of a deep occult connection. The sun has its own light which appears to us, but the moon has not, and the reflected light that rays to us from the moon and of which Lucifer is the bearer, Lucifer Phosphorus, tells us that the moon has no light of its own. Therefore, what is Lucifer can only appear to us symbolically in a Maya shining down from the moon, because the sunlight is reflected. When, for instance, the crescent moon reflects the sunlight, there are, then, no Luciferic spirits of wisdom on the moon itself, but what is poured forth from the sun by the Luciferic spirits of wisdom is reflected as light. Now, when we turn our occult vision to the moon, what the physical eyes perceive, the shining crescent moon, disappears, for that exists only for physical vision. But in its place, occult vision sees the real being behind all visible light in the cosmos, sees the form of Lucifer, though certainly as a reflection. Thus, if we think of the image of Lucifer as seen by occult vision in the place of the crescent moon, we must say the moon owes its origin to the circumstances that certain normal spirits of wisdom renounced their dwelling place on the sun and have taken up their abode in this colony to restrain what streams forth from the luciferic spirits. Hence to occult vision, the spirit of wisdom does not reveal itself here, above the crescent of the moon, but is to be seen restraining the luciferic principle. The occult fact is thus presented symbolically to the imagination as a normal spirit of wisdom holding the luciferic principle in subjection. The occultists therefore represent a form usually taken to be a chief messenger of the higher spirits of wisdom for the one who curbs Lucifer, and they represent Lucifer chained, curbed in the place of the crescent moon. This is an occult picture. Among our occult pictures there is this one representing the chief messenger curbing Lucifer. This is an allusion to profound occult mysteries. What is thus shown externally in Maya is in reality to be ascribed to the cooperation of the spirits of the hierarchies. When we see with physical eyes the crescent moon shining silver bright, there is often to be seen a sort of shadow above in the dark part. Then to occult vision, 
the crescent moon is transformed into a living being, with the restraining spirit above it maintaining the balance from its place on the moon. Thus you see that even to produce a phenomenon such as our earthly moon, many preparations had to be made in the cosmos. The cooperative activities of the various hierarchies in the cosmos is a very complicated matter, and even in a much longer course of lectures we could still give only indications of it. We can make clear only the principle of how these spiritual hierarchies cooperate. Please remember the thought just mentioned in connection with the astral body of the minerals. We have, indeed, still to consider the group I of minerals. That has to be sought in a still higher, supersensible world, in a world not found in the regions where the group eyes of animals or plants are to be found. Therefore we cannot find it upon the sun. Where does the group eye of minerals reveal itself to occult vision? The peculiar thing about the group eye of minerals is that, strictly speaking, it does not end anywhere when we search in cosmic space. It is in the whole widths of cosmic space, and it works from there. We are therefore driven to seek for the group eye of minerals actually outside the planetary system. We must look upon it as something that works into the planetary system from outside. Thus far this coincides with what we know from the Akashic records, that the next higher class of beings above the spirits of wisdom are the thrones or spirits of will. These spirits of will belong to the first hierarchy, and though their offspring are not so far advanced that they can be reckoned within it, these spirits of will, or their offspring, give forth what becomes the group eye of minerals, and what in fact works into the planetary system. This also coincides with the fact that simultaneously with the outpouring of the substance of the spirits of will begins the formation of the planetary system on ancient, ancient Saturn that was brought about by the spirits of will. They still work in the same way at the present time, as when the first embodiment of our earth was built up out of the universe by these beings. We can really only see these spirits of will when having become luciferic they reveal themselves in a sense in certain phenomena that we find as minerals in the sphere of the earth and that come, as it were, from cosmic space. The cosmic origin, the super-earthly origin of what we are now considering is revealed by the fact that these spirits of will combine very, very easily with that which works into the planetary system as the cometary and meteoric beings, as cometary or meteoric life. We have pointed out what meaning this life has in the planetary system. I should like at least to indicate that in reality a comet is something that comes in from outside, but it makes certain combinations. Inasmuch as the comet travels through the planetary system, it combines with the mineral kingdom that also arises through the spirits of will. And the result may be that as the comet rushes through the planetary system, it attaches mineral substance to itself, which is then attracted by the earth and falls down upon it. This, of course, is not the comet, but rather does it announce its approach to the earth by a fall of meteors taking place. These things are absolutely harmonious, and if certain things appear to contradict what was represented earlier, we must always understand that these contradictions will solve themselves if everything is taken into consideration and studied. This was only an example to show that in the planetary system we really have to do with influences working in from the cosmos. These group souls of minerals work in the form of rays from without inward. 
And since various modes of operation come from the various aspects of space, for space is not homogeneous, these group souls of minerals, belonging to the sphere of the spirits of will, ray toward us from different sides in the most varied manner. Now through the cooperation of what comes to the minerals from the planets, what comes from the sun, and what streams in from the universe from the various directions, arises the possibility that not only have those basic types already mentioned come into existence in the mineral kingdom, but all sorts of other forms, all sorts of differently modified substances of the mineral kingdom have been formed. The kind of substance a mineral exhibits simply depends on the way the forces that come from the planets are again influenced by other forces either streaming astrally to the earth from the sun or from various directions of cosmic space. The variety and multiplicity of the mineral kingdom can be understood in this way. If we observe our present-day Saturn, it presents itself in the first place to occult vision as the outermost planet of our system. Why? Because actually Saturn as planet, as well as ancient Saturn, the first of the successive incarnations of our Earth known to us, was produced by the furthest currents coming from cosmic space. Had we been able to observe Saturn at a very early condition of our Earth evolution, we should have seen that in its orbit it had a sort of nucleus and a sort of comet's tail, which passed out into cosmic space. In the distant past, Saturn would have revealed itself definitely with a nucleus and a comet's tail extending into cosmic space. That is, in the primeval periods of our Earth, Saturn would have been seen circling around its orbit with its tail pointing outward. Saturn was earlier like this. The facts of the Akashic records show it thus. The tail of ancient Saturn took the most varied directions out into space, corresponding to the currents that came in from the cosmos directed by the spirits of will, who are the group souls of the minerals. At a later period, when the planetary system was enclosed by the spiritual beings of other hierarchies, what had formerly gone out into cosmic space was drawn together so that the tail became an enclosed ring. Through the power of attraction of the planetary system, the ring was formed. To occult vision, the ring of Saturn is absolutely the same phenomenon as the comet's tail. If you were to take the ring of Saturn as it circles around Saturn and open it out, you would have a comet's tail. In this way, it is possible to look back to the streaming in of the group souls of the minerals into our planetary system. And again, the signs of the zodiac in general give us their individual positions. It is to be noted that the two outermost planets now reckoned as belonging to our system by physical astronomy, Uranus and Neptune, did not originally belong to our solar system. They came much later into the sphere of attraction of our system. They then joined company and remained within it. They cannot therefore be reckoned in the same sense as the other planets as belonging to our system from Saturn onward, for they, so to speak, belonged to it from the beginning. Thus when we consider Saturn, especially in its ancient form, we see in it a planet that by sending forth etheric currents from its own center to our earth creates, we can even say, the substance of lead. At the same time we see how these group souls of the minerals stream in. We see how they are affected when a power of attraction is exercised on them from the sun, from which the astral body of the mineral streams out. From the sun the astral body of the mineral streams out into space, 
From outside, in cosmic space, the eye of the mineral streams in. When these currents are united, something takes place which in a modified way expresses itself, as it were, in a fructification of the group eye by the astral body, and by this means alone does the mineral come to its perfection. Now if we go back to the comet, here too we have something which in fact streams in from cosmic space, a similar stream of beings to the group souls of the minerals. The group souls of the minerals belong to the sphere of the spirits of will, but above them lie the beings who essentially form the basis of cometary life. But as everywhere there are luciferic beings, so also within the comet there are such as stand at the stage of the thrones, not of the cherubim and seraphim. That is why the comet acquires a mineral nature, appears as a mineral intervention in the planetary system. In other words, we have to look upon comets as cosmic bodies that fly in from the cosmos after the planetary system is already formed and thus do not come as far as the bodies composing the system itself but remain behind at a considerably earlier stage. It would certainly be very fascinating to trace the stages of cosmic growth, how worlds are formed by the cooperative activities of the spirits of the hierarchies in a fixed star system, how those same spirits themselves appear when we direct our gaze back to cosmic mists and far-distant fixed stars. Whenever we direct our occult vision to a fixed star, we first of all encounter the normal spirits of wisdom. The whole heavens would be invisible to physical sight and only visible to clairvoyant consciousness if none but these normal spirits of wisdom were active, but everywhere luciferic spirits are mingled with the normal spirits of wisdom and bring physical light of their own into the world of the fixed star. When at night the starry heaven is illuminated, phosphorus actually works down upon us from countless points, and everywhere in the universe we find the possibility of formation only by the cooperation of the opposing forces, by the combined working of the normal spirits of the hierarchies with those who are rebels, that is, those who have remained behind. The starry world of the normal spirits of wisdom is unillumined to physical eyes, but visible to spiritual sight. It became luminous to physical eyes, and it is revealed in Maya through Lucifer, or the Luciferic spirits, who are and must be active everywhere. Thus we have seen something very remarkable in the mineral kingdom also. Today we have, so to speak, grasped the moon as a field of action from which a spirit of wisdom works and remains Lucifer and restrains, excuse me, and restrains Lucifer because a place had to be created where the Luciferic activity would be opposed and balance restored. Now, what significance did this have for humanity? We have seen that in humanity everything is compressed under the physical plane, which for the mineral is, as it were, distributed over the worlds. We have found group souls for the minerals, plants, and animals. Is there also a sort of group soul for the human being? Oh yes, there is. The group souls of the minerals are to be found in the sphere of the thrones, those of the plants in the sphere of the spirits of wisdom, and the animals in the sphere of the spirits of motion. But humans have so received their group soul that with the inflowing of their eye a group soul was originally given them as an emanation from the spirits of form. This human group soul was originally allotted by the spirits of form to be a unitary soul for the whole of humanity. 
what differentiated this group soul into such a variety that differences of race, differences of tribe arose. This was brought about through the action of other spirits. Humanity was created to be one all the world over. In this unity the primeval human eye was to assert itself as a group soul dwelling in all human beings, a group soul that had descended to the physical plane. Just as only the external form of the minerals can be brought into being by the spirits of form, so by these same spirits of form was the group eye created for humanity, which was then differentiated by the activity of other beings of the various hierarchies. Now the balance brought about for the mineral kingdom by the formation of the moon was also brought about for humanity, and indeed in such a way that while the mineral, while for the mineral realm on the moon there is a physical readjustment, in exactly the same way a moon principle exists for humanity that works against the Luciferic influence in human nature, just as in the mineral kingdom the dark moon principle works against the Lucifer principle. Just as in the mineral kingdom something is active on the moon that keeps the balance with regard to the Luciferic forces streaming down from the sun, so does a spiritual moon principle work from the moon against the temptation of Lucifer that humanity has encountered in the course of the earth evolution. As we have seen, all the planets, all the heavenly bodies stand in connection with beings of the higher hierarchies, and so too is it with the moon. The spirits of wisdom established a colony upon the moon in order to preserve the equilibrium, and so from the direction of the moon compensating spirits work in upon humanity against Lucifer, who approached humanity as a tempter. Just as the tempter disseminated light, so too did his spiritual principle sink down into the human soul. So we can also point to the moon as the bearer of the opponent of Lucifer, as the dwelling place of dark spirits who yet must be there to maintain the balance regarding the light-bearers who are pressing forward and who at the same time are the tempting spirits of humanity. In fact, the secret of the moon and its spiritual principle was first revealed to humanity in the old Hebrew records. And what we have found physically in the moon is, in its spiritual aspect, what Hebrew antiquity designated as the Jehovah Principle. According to this, the moon, so to speak, is designated as the starting point of the forces working upon humanity, as the opponents of Lucifer. Yahweh, or Jehovah, is the opponent of Lucifer. The secret doctrine of the ancient Hebrews looked up to the sun, saying, In the sun work the invisible spirits of wisdom who are only visible to spiritual, not to physical sight. The latter sees the principle of Lucifer raying down. What is to be seen externally as the sun principle is Lucifer, and therein works secretly, invisible to physical vision, everything attainable through the spirits of wisdom who form the gateway to it. One of these spirits of wisdom separated and sacrificed itself and has taken up its abode upon the moon in order through its activity there to curb the light and also to counteract the spiritual work of Lucifer. Hebrew antiquity saw in Jehovah an ambassador of those truly exalted spirits to whom vision is opened through the spirits of wisdom if the sun is looked upon with spiritual sight. Hebrew antiquity justly concluded that Jehovah must continue to work from the moon until humanity has become inwardly mature enough to perceive and feel at least a little of what gradually in the course of evolution will be both seen and understood. That from the same sun proceeds not only the physical part of Lucifer, 
but also the dissemination of what the spirits of wisdom are the portal. Thus to the ancient Hebrew there appeared in Jehovah what is similar to the spirits of wisdom in the sun, and we can say, just as the sunlight is reflected from the moon in space, so too the ancient Hebrew who really knew Jehovah was the reflection of that spiritual being who, when humanity has become sufficiently mature, will ray down from the sun, and whose appearance was foretold by the holy rishis, Zarathustra, and the worshippers of Osiris. Just as in space sunlight is reflected from the moon, so Jehovah is revealed as a reflection of the principle of the great sun spirit, whom you may designate by whatever name you will, Vishvakarma, as the ancient Indians called him, Ahura Mazda, as he was called by Zarathustra, Osiris by the ancient Egyptians, or as the Christ, as he was known to the fourth post-Atlantean period of civilization. That is the esoteric comprehension of Jehovah. He is Christ reflected by the moon principle, and because he was reflected in time, Christ could be announced prophetically. Hence, in St. John's Gospel, we come across a passage that otherwise can never be understood, in which it is said that Moses spoke of Christ. Actually, he spoke of Jehovah, but it is Christ prophetically announced. This passage in which Jehovah is mentioned is referred to because the bearer of the Christ wishes to point out that in antiquity Jehovah is but Christ foretold. Thus we see that these things are harmonious, and that what we have heard today is connected with what was said in the last lecture, and what we in, in what we call the external light and its bearer, we must recognize something that is in opposition to the spiritual principle that is at the normal point of its evolution, and that appears to us as the spiritual center of our planetary system. It is not a question of names, but of recognizing the whole significance of this principle. We must recognize that in the realm of the spiritual we speak of Christ, just as in that of the physical we speak of the sun, that in the realm of the spiritual we speak of the planetary spirits and of the planets, just as in the development of earthly civilization we speak perhaps of the principle of Buddha. Here again is a point where you find one of the important revelations in H. P. Blavatsky. What great revelations there are in the secret, doc in the secret doctrine you can see by the way H. P. Blavatsky treats the concept of Jehovah. We need not recoil at this or think things are not correct because she shows a certain antipathy toward Christ and Jehovah. The truth nevertheless presses through, and the description of Jehovah as a moon divinity and the presentation of Lucifer as his opponent that is given by H. P. Blavatsky is, one might say, the broken expression of a truth. The presentation given from inspiration by Blavatsky is only given a subjective coloring by her because she had a feeling that Lucifer was really a good divinity. She felt him as such. She preferred him, in a certain sense, to the moon god because to her Lucifer was a sun god. That is correct. He is that. But we had to represent the true connection in order that the expression used in former times, Christ is the true Lucifer, or in other words, Christus verus Luciferus, may be understood. It does not sound quite right to us today, but at that time people knew from the old secret doctrine that the light-bearer manifests in the external physical light, and that if we penetrate through the physical light to the spirits of wisdom, to the spiritual light, then we reach the light-bearer of that light. Christus verus luciferus. I think in spite of the incompleteness that was inevitable in our rendering of this comprehensive theme, what we always wish to attain in the sphere of spiritual science has come 
before our souls, that the treatment of every theme leads us to look up from the physical to the spiritual. With regard to the heavenly bodies, that, as the expression of the wonders of the universe, shine forth from space, this is in many respects very difficult, because in the heavenly bodies there is a complicated cooperation of the beings of the various hierarchies, and because everything that takes place in cosmic space can only be comprehended if behind all matter, even behind the substance of light itself, we find the spirit or spirits. Behind all this spiritual life lies the universal divine fatherhood, an omnipresent and ever-working all-divine life that before it comes to expression in the physical is differentiated into countless worlds of spiritual hierarchies. We look up to these worlds, however, and see within them what works down into our kingdoms of nature and is the foundation of all the wonders of the heavens. For even in our kingdoms of nature, either the hierarchies themselves or their offspring are revealed. When we thus look out into the spaces of heaven, we can, through such reflections, also gain a moral impression that must, if we allow the mighty operations of the hierarchies in cosmic space to gain a little influence over us, result in our being drawn away from the passions, desires, impulses and concepts that our physical earth life brings to maturity. These are, in essence, what flings down into the development of the earth and divides humanity into factions what makes people all over the world opponents or partisans in the most varied directions. In a higher moral sense, we attain a sense of freedom, if but for a brief time we free ourselves from the consideration of earthly things and contemplate the worlds of spirit and cosmic space. Then do we become free from what otherwise plays in our egotistical impulses that are the original cause of all the smallnesses and quarreling upon earth. Hence the most certain means of attaining the high ideals of our anthroposophical life is to direct our gaze from time to time to the starry worlds and their spiritual guides and leaders, the hierarchies. If we investigate the different civilizations as we have tried to do and the significance of the inspiring spirits of the various religions and of the bearers of wisdom to humanity, we shall cease to strive on earth as followers of individual systems we shall not depend on names nor on the creeds of the several groups of humanity on the earth. When people seek their knowledge where the vision of all the humanity of the earth can be directed and where the knowledge common to all can be obtained, knowledge that unites and does not separate, when people actually reach that heavenly language which expresses the significance of the various religious founders and inspirers of humanity, then will the anthroposophical ideal of a tolerant and unbiased consideration of all religions and cosmic conceptions be really able to appear. People will no longer quarrel when they no longer claim for their own group a particular bearer of religion or stream of civilization, but seek for the origin of these bearers outside in cosmic space. In this sense, such a contemplation may acquire great moral importance if peace and harmony are established in much that formerly brought divisions and disharmonies upon earth. Only we must learn to read the mighty writing given us in the forms and movements of the heavenly bodies, learn to read how in reality not different but the same spirits work for each single individual on earth, that they belong to all people. This might be explained by means of a physical picture. As long as we remain on the earth, a group of people may dwell in the north or in the south, east or west. 
but when we look upon the movement of the earth we observe how it turns its face to the stars when it changes its position, whether in short periods of time or in millions of years, how the southern half turns to the northern and the stars of our northern heavens become visible, and then how the northern part of our earth turns to the south and perceives the stars of the southern heavens. Just as the earth in the course of time turns its countenance, so to speak, to all the stars that shine to us from cosmic space, so may humanity learn through the ideals of anthroposophy to look in an unbiased manner upon all that speaks spiritually from cosmic space. Through such a positive consideration of facts, this ideal will best be reached, not through a sentimental emphasis of love and peace. In a real way shall we attain love and peace and harmony if we direct our vision away from the concerns of earth that divide humanity into races, nations, religions, to the starry heavens, where spirits speak the same language to us through all time, even though even through all eternity, the same language for every human soul, for every human heart, if only we understand it rightly. In this sense I should like now, at the end of our course of lectures, to point to the moral effects of such considerations, if we take the trouble to learn to know the facts of occultism, if we learn to know them in the true occult sense, what has been learned will so stream into our hearts that it becomes a life force within us, a living hope. Above all, it will become moral energy and really make us what we may call citizens of the heavenly worlds. Then through our spiritual life we carry heaven into the concerns of earth, and thus in the course of the processes of civilization bring about what in the highest sense we can designate as harmony, as peace. Then will we become more and more conscious that at the very beginning as well as at the end of the evolution of civilization an undivided spirit really governs, a spirit of form who works uniformly throughout humanity. This spirit is stimulated by the other spirits of form who serve it in order to work consistently through the whole of humanity. Thus through true heavenly science something Uniform is brought to human beings, and this will promote the intellectual and moral understanding of humanity on the earth. Thus we do not wish to consider merely the abstract and theoretical, but every such consideration ought, at the same time, to become in us a source of power, above all, a source of moral power. Then will all our teachings, even those that appear drawn from afar, serve to forward the direct aims and ideals of spiritual science. With these closing words, my dear friends, which should gather up the whole spirit and character of these lectures into a certain nuance of feeling, I should like to bid you all farewell. The end of lecture 10 and of this lecture cycle, even though there shall be additional lectures added on to this that are in here.